Hello and welcome to episode 8 of From Our Hell Mouths to Your Hell Ears. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Mariah. Alright, we're on episode 8, which in the Buffy world is called I, Robot, You, Jane. Yes, I really like this episode a lot. I thought it was a different episode. I thought it was the John Ritter episode. Oh, John Ritter. Yeah, uh-huh. At first. But I was like, I know that happens later. Yeah. But Well, no. I feel like there's another robot one, too, where, like, the guy makes a female robot. There's... The geeks make a female robot. That's true. Yeah. A girlfriend robot. There you go. That was the one I was thinking of. Okay. Yeah. But I really liked this one because of, you know, the commentary, commentary that they had on um, a newfangled technology... You know, Giles versus Miss Calendar's approach to how knowledge should be accessed. Right, there's a big books versus computers argument. Mm-hmm. Giles is obviously on the computer side. Yeah. I do like his uh, overall explanation at the very end of the episode, mm. which was like, uh, she said, why do you hate computers? And he said, the smell. Yeah. And she's like, "Their computers don't smell. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like the, the sense of smell is like a huge memory uh, trigger. Mm-hmm. So uh, reading stuff, like he's like, you associate things you read in books with the smell of them. And, you know, I liked that a lot. Well, it, I thought it was interesting because books potentially smell the same way. So how is it that they trigger different thoughts I guess it is just you know the essence of knowledge you can smell the essence of knowledge but yeah smell the knowledge yeah do new books smell that way I don't think they smell that way but they do have a smell like like walking to Barnes and Noble it's all new books but there's a smell yeah yeah it's like the smell of paper who would have known paper had a smell smell dead trees <laughs> So this episode starts out with what's his name? Oh, Moloch. Moloch, yes. And so he gets trapped inside a book, and then he's we, a demon. Yes, Moloch the demon. Moloch the demon gets trapped inside a book, and we wonder why this book isn't destroyed or buried deeply. How it gets resurfaced into our present day Mister Giles' incompetent hands. Yeah, how did they get? A book from Italy in the 1400s into a high school library in Sunnydale, (laughs) California. Wouldn't that be in a museum? Well, when she first opened the box, that's what I thought, that maybe Joyce had it shipped. And I was like, that would have been plausible. That would make a lot more sense, actually. Well, and we know that Giles is a watcher and he has all of these volumes. Are they just shipping them directly from England? Like, what are they carrying them on a cargo boat? Does he still have, like, boxes and crates of books to open up? It did seem like they had just gotten a shipment in mm-hmm. of, like, all these books, and this happened to be just one of them. It was Christmas, and so he got all of his his new shipment of books. Did he see the cover of the book? When they first took it out of the... I don't think he was paying attention. Or even if he did, he's probably used to seeing a bunch of demons and stuff, and it doesn't, like, spark interest. The smell of the book didn't trigger his memory of knowing... Because later, when Miss Calendar finds the book empty, Mm -hmm. 
he's like, let me look at that, and sees the cover, and he's like, oh, no. Yeah, he hadn't seen it yet. He said there mm-hmm. were a bunch of volumes he hadn't gone through yet. I guess, okay, I guess so. Yeah, that would have been a, a tip-off. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, if you see a, I don't know, a, a Nazi book, and you see Hitler's face on the front, you're not immediately shocked until you open the pages and find that they're blank and they ought not be. So That'd be scary if Hitler was in a book and he got... But you would know it's not a good book. I guess, actually, now that I think about it, you should probably assume all of those books are not good books. Well, exactly. So why would it stand out? But you and I made the joke earlier about how he knows all of them by face. Like, did he have, like, flashcards <laughs> as watcher in training to go through, okay, who's this? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Moloch. Who's this one? Uh, that's a praying mantis woman. <laughs> yeah. He was, like, 12, wanting to go outside. And his mom was like, nope, we're studying. We're studying <laughs> demon faces. It would be even funnier if it was in the reverse. And she's like, come on, Rupert, go out and play. No, Mom. She probably called him Mr. Giles, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I did think it was interesting. So, Miss Callender, we should take a moment to appreciate that she has been introduced to the series. She is, I don't know, her introduction... I know that they're trying to highlight the difference between new age, old age, um, popular, unpopular, but she comes off as floozy at the beginning, you know? I think floozy might be the wrong word. Well, she comes in hung over, but also just like kind of <laughs> ditzy. So what, what, is the, what does floozy mean? For me, a floozy is kind of a uh, tramp. Oh. A, uh, you know, a woman who sleeps around. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's what I associate floozy with. Oh, for me, floozy is a woman who's, like, partially drunk all the time. Hmm. Like, alcohol-induced stupor. Not anything to do do with sexual activity, but... Maybe I just think of sex too much. Well, you know, if a girl is inebriated, she's more likely to be a little bit loose, so that makes sense. That doesn't say anything good about my character. <laughs> if I immediately think drunk girl up sex right there. Oh, yeah, it's bad. That's pretty bad. <laughs> good thing you're out of the dating game, huh? Good thing. Woo. Ooh, those poor girls. Oh, man. So, but I mean, her character improves over the course of the episode. Yeah, she does come off as... You know, like, her and Giles are immediately arguing with each other. Mm-hmm. She's, like, putting down his books... Mm-hmm. She does She does have the cool teacher who doesn't follow all the rules vibe. Mm-hmm. Like she comes in late to her class with the dark shades on and the coffee looking like she's hungover. Mm-hmm. Buffy's not even in the right class and she's like, you know what, don't be here too long, but you do need to get out of here at some point. Yeah, she's not going to strictly lay down the law. But yeah, you know, it's interesting. She even though she comes off kind of aggressively and really wants to change his mind, she asks a lot of questions and he's just really shut down. You know, at least she seems to be open to dialogue. Well, why is it that you think that way? And tell me more about it. And he's just like, because I don't, because no, (laughs) which I guess is a little bit more too of that antiquated, no way is right, but the historical way of doing things. I could see someone feeling attacked if you're asking them a bunch of questions about, like, 
Prove to me why this thing you like is good. Ooh, that, that talks speaks to the dynamic in our relationship a lot. I remember you used to make the same comment that if I asked you questions, it felt like I was leading you or... Um, you're, in, you're like uh, interrogating me about this thing. Like you're trying to convince me not to like it or something. Yeah, yeah. Which was not my intent at all, but I understand how that can be perceived. It's curiosity. I guess it's aggressive curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause I, cause I think so. How dare you question me just because? I just like it, okay? Don't make me rationalize it. it. Takes the fun out of it. It does. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm not trying to say it's not legitimate. But... Okay, will you stop with the interrogation? Uh, okay. Come now? on, chill out, this lady. Is ridiculous. You're being just, hysterical. We just talked about this five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. So then we have, you know, other topics of. Um, Elite versus lower class and the accessibility of knowledge, which I thought was kind of interesting because you do think about how much information has now been made accessible to people that couldn't access libraries, you know, because of where they lived or and not to say that Internet is available to all, but more widely accessible. Yeah, I think. The if we're, go, if we're going way back to, like, 1400s, like the episode does, I think the uh, access to knowledge was denied just because of the, not denial, but nobody could read. The access to being able to read, so nobody had. Unless you were, like, a uh, <clears throat> part of the church or, like, royalty, mm-hmm. you probably didn't know how to read. So I could see why the book argument would seem elitist or part of the upper class. Mm-hmm. And even computer knowledge, it's not available to everybody. No, it's not. Like, so they both have their... Limitations. Limi- yeah, their, yeah, their limits. Like, some people have to go to the library for internet access. Not everybody has the internet or computers or smartphones or... Yeah, 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 I'm not, yeah, that's a good point. I shouldn't make the distinction that it's more accessible based on class because it's not. I think that still is very much a a part of it, but at least you can't, you can't say that you are ignorant anymore when you have a smartphone. It's like, if you don't know something, you can Google it. Yeah, I know it's personally, uh, like for school, mm-hmm. it's taken a lot of the impetus of studying and learning something mm-hmm. out of my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I need to learn this when I have, like, like my brain is in this phone. Oh, yeah. Like, I, all the information is right there. Don't need to why do I need to memorize anything anymore? That's a really good point. So it's like you learn more, but your memory gets lazy. You don't learn more. Well, you learn it and then forget it. Like You have access to more, but you actually, actually study and learn less because the information's right there. Like, if you didn't have access to the information, you'd get a book, you'd read, you'd have to study it. Like, this isn't going to be here for me to flip through and look up forever. I can just pull something out of my pocket now. I don't have to know anything. 
I guess I, you're, it seems like you're talking about retention of information because overall you are reading more on your phone than you would be reading out of a book. I see you looking up information constantly. I don't memorize any of it. Right, but you're exposed to it. That's true. I, I think the, the motivation, at least me personally, mm -hmm. the motivation to actually learn mm -hmm. is less because of the information being all right there. I don't have to learn it. Yeah. But and you don't have to question it either. But what I read? Well, on the on the internet, I mean, well, we had that conversation about Facebook and how people just accept things at face value and they don't look into anything further. It's almost like you look for what you are want to hear and then you can nullify everything else. Um, yeah. In books, I you take what you read at face value also. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole process things have to go through to be published there is fact checking mm -hmm. there is a whole publishing uh, process of making sure this book we're putting out isn't a bunch of bs right by white elitist men you're right they it's very thoroughly checked that is true okay but you and then versus the internet you have Anyone can put anything, no matter how right or wrong. There's no fact-checking. There's no... You're absolutely right about the white elitist. <laughs> like, look at a history book mm -hmm. in the United States school system. It's horrible. Most textbooks in the United States Well, like, systems. science and math is... Science and math is just what it is. I guess. It still seems like it's pretty, like, American. Uh, science Central. is universal. It is. But I think Americans tend to focus on our contributions more than they well, sometimes I think deserve. When you take a U.S. history class, of course, like it, you have to learn about your culture first. Yeah. So I also had a world history class. I'm not. You said we're talking about science and mathematics. Yeah, I don't understand how one would have math be America centered. Math is math, whether you're in America or Japan or the moon. All right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, <clears throat> I don't even know what we were talking about originally when we got distracted. We were talking about books and how they need to be fact-checked. Right, and in the internet, a Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, anything can be put out there. And, it's and, and and everything people read, they take it, well, not everybody, but a lot of people take that at face value, too, and it has none of the backing that a book does. Well, and then they're just ego-stroking, too. Right. Yeah, and it's like, oh, yeah, you're totally right, man. I get you. Yeah, that's right. But at least book ego-stroking has some spine to it. Because <laughs> of a book, thing. <laughs> There's... Uh, legit information that went into writing that book and not your yeah. dumb Facebook post. I don't know. There's controversy over if global warming actually exists and everyone has scientific evidence, Vac vaccines, if those are legitimate. I mean, I still feel like there's controversy no matter what context we're discussing. I think most scientists would agree on those things. 
There is a huge collective of people, my dad at the forefront, that He's not a scientist. He reads scientific literature. I would I'm I'm willing to bet like eighty to ninety percent of scientists are all on the same side about things. And you have your outliers. You're always gonna have your outliers in any forum. Okay. I don't think like global warming is split fifty fifty amongst scientists. I'm sure most of them are on one side. Yeah. Doesn't mean that the large the majority is always right either though. That's true. But for science, I tend to believe the majority. Because they tell you to. <laughs> yeah. You're I, not a scientist either. Like, for all you know, they could be know. talking out their asses. At least there's a lot of them doing it. There you go. Believe the majority. Fine. Global warming is fake. We're fine. We don't need to do anything. Let's build bigger, stronger cars. More factories, let's dig for more oil. At no point did I say that global warming wasn't a thing. I said that literature exists. If there's one thing I learned from speech and debate, it's that you can find facts to support any position. That's the statistics, too. Well, there you go. Any numbers. You can can manipulate the numbers to say what you want. Oh, yeah, as a data analyst, it's all about how the data are presented, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I think it really does show and highlight the fact that whether we're dealing with books or dealing with the internet the validity of what people are saying is are saying is not any different right we're still gonna have people that but who's right who's right who's wrong i mean i just think books are more valid i'm a giles guy well great awesome i i don't believe that books are anymore in fact i think i trust them less because they are because of what? Because they're challenged. Yes, first of all, the population they're coming from, um, the motivation behind what they're saying, um, because there's definitely motivation behind what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like there's just as much of that on the internet. And who knows? I guess, it, yeah, you'll, you'll hear what you want to hear, right? And always. Always. It's true. I'm closed-minded. I never hear what I don't want to hear. Well, I am. (laughs) You're never going to convince me. Never. Anything that I don't want to (laughs) hear. What else? Well, we were talking, too, about, like, the help versus hinder human connection. You know, Mm. do we feel like the Internet actually brings us closer to people, or does it socially distance Yeah, that's an interesting, because it does give you, it's like, it's the same thing with information. It gives you more access, Uh but it's not personal access. It takes away the senses, like what Giles was talking about earlier. You can't touch someone on the internet. You can't smell them. You can't look into their eyes. Mm -hmm. I guess you can over a computer, but it's still not the same. Yeah. You can't, you know... Yeah. Can't have an authentic interaction. Well, yeah, I mean, I think about Facebook and how people can can be voyeurs for all of the people they've known in their lives or even mm-hmm. people that they haven't met physically. And it seems like you are connecting with more people even when you write comments. But 
watching them, I found, made me much less likely to reach out to them because I know what's going on. Oh, Kim had her birthday and she had friends over and that was a lot of fun. And so I was curious. I'm totally off social media and it was a scary leap for me because I worried about disconnecting from people that I knew I wouldn't probably reconnect with otherwise. But then I thought, but the interactions I have will be authentic. You know, the people who do miss me will reach out to me. The people who I do miss, I will reach out to them. And then that's all the time and energy I need to put into those relationships. Because the other ones, yeah, it almost minimized. The people who I would reach out to, I hadn't been reaching out to because I saw what was going on in their lives on Facebook. But it's also not the whole truth. Like, you weren't going to post on Facebook that you're having a midlife crisis. You might just be posting pictures of the grandkids so that grandma and grandpa can see them. And that's it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. More connected and less connected all at the same time. Everything comes with a balance. And then, Plus there's a lot of like, sorry for interrupting, no. but there's a lot of like pressure to keep up relationships that don't actually matter to you. Yeah. You know, you're commenting on your things. You like have to check your Facebook just to see if anyone posted anything so you can, I don't know, show that you care. Mm-hmm respond if they responded right but it's it's a relationship like that you're without the internet means nothing mm-hmm. yeah it's true well and then we get into talking about relationships online dating and willow this is her first access to a boy that likes her mm-hmm. and she's willing to forego not having a face to the name not really being able, and I guess when online dating is such a new thing, it's a novel concept that people would be deceitful. Mm-hmm. Like the thought never crossed my mind at that age that it could be like a 40 year old man preying on a 14 year old girl. Yeah, I know my parents were always like, careful, you never know who that is. Mm-hmm. That was always the example, too. Like, you think you're talking to a girl, but it's some dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, Sitting in his mom's basement, whatever. It's never a cougar sitting there being like, right? ha It's not like a, it's not a 36-year-old woman talking to a 16-year-old boy. It's a 40-year-old man being all pervy. Yeah. Or even just someone, like, getting their kicks. Like, it could be another 16-year-old girl pretending to be a dude or whatever and just... Or pretending to be interested. hmm Yeah. Yeah, and we were talking about, too, how it was the the start of emojis because we used to send in chat rooms. We were talking about chat rooms as mm-hmm. being a place that we, we did a little bit of online stuff and uh, guys would send flowers with the at symbol and like dashes <laughs> and stuff. And you'd feel so like, I don't know. I felt honored even though it meant nothing. Like all a person had to do was type things. And I thought they genuinely like me and I'm appreciated as a person and they're attracted to me. They had no idea. Probably just throwing out a big net and seeing what they can right. catch. I mean, and then there's the same dynamic in face-to-face relationships, too. Yeah, how so? People throwing out a big net. Like, what do you think of going to a bar is? Yeah. It's you're throwing out your net. You can say anything to anyone. You can say what job you have. You can say where you live. Like, you can make up anything, even face-to-face. You don't need the internet for that. Isn't that a scary concept? But people don't automatically assume that meeting someone face to face but over the internet the automatic assumption is this person's probably lying oh wow that's a 
that's a really good point. Yeah, we think that people are being honest if they're face-to-face. And, of course, you've heard some... Oh, gosh. I'm not even going to say it on this podcast. Uh, there, there's hor- There are horrible cool. stories from face-to-face. There's horrible stories over the Internet. Yep. There's good stories. Girls and boys the out there, the lesson is only network through friends. Because then if something bad happens, you can blame your friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, nice but I, it's more trustworthy. Like, I barely knew you. Like, I fell in love with you the first night I met you. But I knew that you were friends with friends that I respected. So I could trust you. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't know you, um, yeah. Probably. Who knows that. if I would have given you a chance. The time of day. Fair. Fair. I agree with that. <laughs> but it is funny, the... Uh... I don't know. People just assume people are going to be deceitful. It's like there's a this bathroom controversy in the news where like uh, trans people want to use the bathroom with the gender they identify with mm-hmm. rather than the gender they were born as. Mm-hmm. And then there's these like old white men mm-hmm. who, who are like. What if I knew I could go into any bathroom I wanted? I would just go into the girls' bathroom. So it's like people assume people are just going to be deceitful if given the opportunity. And the internet is an opportunity to be deceitful. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder why that is. Is it like expect the worst and hope for the best and so you're not setting yourself up for failure? I guess it is kind of that survival instinct, right? Like, just because it might not, like, it could be safe doesn't mean that you won't automatically expect it not to be. Because all it takes is one mistake and you're dead, right? So same thing. I mean, the stakes are fairly high out there. Yeah. One mistake, trusting someone, you could end up dead. So better to trust no one. But That's why I don't have any friends. Yeah. I'm surprised you're even friends with me. and <laughs> pretty sketchy. But yeah, it does make the world seem like a really big and scary place. I think about that a lot with our girls, you know, walking that line of, I want you to be aware of your surroundings and cautious, Mm -hmm. but I don't want you to fear that the world is a bad place. It's like, it's just being prepared. Yeah. It's like taking a test. Mm -hmm. That can be scary. You're being evaluated. If you go into it blind, you're not going to do well. But if you study for it if you prepare for it you can walk into it confidently mm-hmm. so walking out into the big wide world as long as you're prepared and aware of what's going on you should be fine can you ever be fully prepared though you can no no there's gonna be wow it's like uh, like driving too yeah <laughs> this is maybe not a good example but he always assumes, I always assume people are just going to cut me off. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate driving next to people or in their blind spot. Like, if I'm, like, kind of next to someone, I always back off or just pass them. Oh, yeah. Because you assume someone's going to crash into you. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, preparing for the worst. Maybe that is the best way. Yeah. Well, I mean, defensive driving for sure, but, yeah, I can't remember. You, you sparked a thought and then the th- thought left. So, maybe we'll get back to it. Maybe not. Maybe not. But, yeah. Was there anything else that happened in the episode that you felt was worthwhile? I had a hard time with Giles a little bit this episode. Like, I keep... I love 
him. But as I'm going into the series again with fresh eyes, I'm like, he hasn't given me a whole lot. He's not likable yet. He still comes off as really uptight, close-minded. Um, you don't get that impression? I don't think he's close-minded. He's uptight for sure. He's close-minded about the internet. It's the first time we've seen any close-minded behavior from yeah from Giles, as far as I remember. Have there been other opportunities, I guess? Like, the only other time maybe is when he didn't believe Buffy that Xander was acting weird in the hyena episode. Or Buffy and all of her tactics to become a slayer. He's close-minded to that. Because he's been trained since he was 10 mm-hmm. that this is the way it's done. And he's being thrown a huge curveball. And he's in a different culture mm-hmm. um, around people not his age. Is, how is that not so close-minded? It's not close-minded. It's just being... He's being thrown into a situation that he thought was going to be one thing and it's actually something else. Mm-hmm. It's just... Yeah, I don't think it's close-minded. Close-minded is like... He's... I think he still makes the judgment that the way things, the way he does things is better than the way that other people do things. And yeah, it's a lot of newness, but I still see a lot of judgment from him. But he always does eventually come around. After almost dying, yeah. He still comes around. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he changes his mind. He's not stubborn about it. Mm-hmm. Like, well, this actually, and then Buffy will do something. He's like, well, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then it works out. I think he was close-minded, he would, like, even if it worked out, he would still go back to his old ways. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing, I think it's, it's, it's good character development, because he's starting off on one end, and he's slowly being dragged into the, not all the way the other end, but, like, him and Buffy are starting to meet in the middle mm-hmm. of how slaying should be done. Right? Yeah, I and I know that is part of, you know, trajectory that's interesting to watch. I'm just surprised that I am so rubbed the wrong way by him at the beginning. Yeah. If he's if he's perfect, there's nowhere to go. Yeah, absolutely. He's very very stuffy. And I think they're trying to like they're making a comment about British people too. See, Americans, we think we got the best culture. <laughs> it's making them Brits look bad. Mm-hmm. I think they're making themselves look bad. <laughs> um, speaking of relationships, there's the... We don't get too much character stuff in this episode, I feel. At least not from Buffy. No. She's just slaying it up. Yeah. There's the uh, Willow Xander mini character spotlight when Xander's asking about internet guy mm-hmm. and Buffy's like oh are you jealous now you're not the bell of the ball I don't think they've ever actually verbally talked about how Xander knows that Willow has relationship feelings about him mm-hmm. and that he's still her friend yeah and Buffy seems to be <clears throat> well in the loop too mm-hmm. and so it makes me wonder have all of them come to terms with the fact that their love triangle is just not right, to be. Because it's like Willow's 
won't make the next step with Xander because she doesn't want to be rejected or whatever. So, like, it feels like in Willow's mind, Xander doesn't know the extent of her feelings. Mm -hmm. But in this episode, it seems like he does know the extent of her feelings. Oh, yeah. I think it's always been apparent to him. And I... I always suspected that she knew she was just too afraid to make the jump and and the fantasy is better than the reality. Because wouldn't that be the best? Your best friend becomes your high school sweetheart, becomes your spouse. I mean, that's the dream. So I think she's still, and he's the only boy that's even remotely accessible to her. So she has on those rose-colored glasses, but Mm -hmm. maybe she already knows too that she's just not actually in love with him because how wouldn't it be hard to separate those those feelings because i feel like i am in love with my friends that i love dearly but i wouldn't go there because we're friends the only thing different for me between friendship and romance is the sexual attraction that makes sense yeah yeah i think she uh yeah, she doesn't know. She needs some. Ex- she needs access to other boys. Yeah. She needs some life experience. Mm-hmm. She's gonna. She's gonna settle for her first crush. Mm-hmm. They're gonna get married. She's gonna be disappointed. Mm-hmm. She's gonna be thirty, and she's gonna abandon her family because <laughs> she hasn't had any goddamn life experience. Right. Your early twenties should be fucking wild. <laughs> wild. <laughs> I love it. I feel like I didn't have to get out that many. So many wild oats. Everyone's different. Yeah, for sure. But there should be some. Yeah. There should be some. You should taste as much as you can or have access to. Willow does have some highlights of strength in this episode, though. I feel like they keep... Again, I'm surprised. I keep thinking of Willow as this meek and timid character, and she is, but there have been so many moments where she has come right out and just been her. Like, at the end, when he's... Well, we can start out Yeah, we can jump all over the place. All over the place. So this Malik is supposed to seduce people and, and bring them in, and she cannot be seduced when he has holes in his, I guess like his knowledge like she knows I didn't tell you that and so that snaps her out of it Mm -hmm. so he can't have a spell over her and then at the very end too he she knows that if she defies him he will kill her and she is still sticking to her guns yeah if I were in her place I was imagining I'm like I'd tell him whatever he wanted to hear but that's for survival instinct right but she just saw that not work what? There was uh, Fritz, I think uh-huh. his name was. He was like the main minion throughout the episode. Yeah. He was just like, you know, show me love and blah, blah, blah. And Fritz is all like, I love you. And then he breaks Fritz's neck. That's true. So the love thing isn't guaranteeing your safety. He didn't say he loved Fritz, though. I was surprised to him. Like, But she called it. She said, you can't love anyone. Like, you don't know what love is. So, but still to be so defined, I would probably say anything I could to placate and to buy time and to find a way out of the situation. And that's probably what would have happened. I think most people do have that survival instinct, Mm -hmm. but it was really cool to see her 
straight in the eye, defy him, you will never have me. No, for sure. It's really it's, cool. It's a good, good Willow episode. And Buffy, why does she keep kicking him? He's pure steel. Like <laughs> That's all she had. What is she, She's not going to talk him out of anything. That's her I know, that's it was her just, thing. I, I just kept expecting her to be resourceful sooner. Instead of doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, I was like, "Dude, you've tried punching in him and kicking mm-hmm. him. It hasn't worked. Do something different, Buffy." And she did. I liked that. She killed him in the same manner that he tried to kill her. Oh, I didn't notice that. Right when she was in the shower, uh, homeboy <gasps> right. tried to electrocute her. Yeah. And then at the end, she, like, stood in front of an electrical box and was like, come and get me, and he threw a punch at her and shocked him, so. I did think there was a lot of suspense, even though you know the series is seven seven seasons seasons long. Thank you. Um, How sad would it be if the, the Slayer's demise was at the hands of a teenage boy who just simply put a, a live wire into some water? Right? She has all these powers, and it's just a... <laughs> Just an electrocution. Just some little fuck. <laughs> right? Like, didn't even have to be the most powerful vampire of 5,000 years. It could mm-hmm. just be a little twerp. <laughs> but, and then, oh man, Dave. Poor Dave. Dave. Oh my gosh, that's he, heartbreaking. Uh, he was, he kind of had the, uh, the same arc Willow did, but it didn't work out as well for him. Mm-hmm. Like, he was sucked in at first. Yeah. And then when it came down to it, he warned, he saved Buffy. He did. And then uh, he was standing up to the computer guy, too. Yeah. And was like, nope, I can't do this anymore. And then Mm -hmm. Fritz killed him and strung him up. Yep. Man, that Fritz kid, he was already damaged from the get-go. From, like, scene scene one, he's like, you're not jacked in, you're not living and he was not possessed. Not yet, yet even. No. no, he was just prying. He's like, I just want someone to tell me to kill someone. Yeah, I was like always that. like looking for it. That's what I thought too. I was like, is he hypnotizing these kids through the screen? Is it really just promises of this and that? I guess so. I think it's just he's it's just got the gift of gab. I guess so. Good salesman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's a hypnotizing thing. I think it's just a convincing. Mm-hmm. I, I have power. I can give you this. I can give you that. Mm-hmm. Even though I've done nothing to prove right? to you that I, I can. I haven't given you anything yet. I'll yeah. ask you to kill a few people and then I'll demonstrate something of my commitment to you. Fritz was waiting. He was ready to go. He was waiting for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, I like the, I don't know if you have anything more to add. Seems like we've been talking a good amount, but I was thinking about the end when they're sitting there and they're like, oh yeah, your dating track record is bad, so is mine, so is hers. Well, I guess we're all doomed. Right. <laughs> and then it's kind of like, the, uh, <laughs> laughter dies out. Trying to, in trying to cheer Willow up, they all bummed themselves out. Yeah. Well, this is life on the hellmouth. Okay, couple things that we forgot to talk about. One, Buffy and Willow are alone, and what do they talk right. about? Yeah, there's there is still the uh, mandatory Buffy and Willow are alone together talking about a boy. Mm-hmm. They didn't talk about anything else, just a boy. Nope, yep. 
and then Buffy trails a person in a car by foot. Right. Uh, what's his name? Dave. Uh-huh. Buffy's supposed to be following Dave, right? Uh-huh. And he gets into a car and drives to, I assume, a warehouse on the outskirts of town. You would think so. She's right behind him. The whole, she arrives very soon after him. She, got, she didn't drive. No. She didn't take a cab, follow that car. She didn't ride a bus. How is she just, like... She doesn't have a bike. She's not... How can you be co... Is it no covert? I always get these wrong. Dis, uh, indiscreet or discreet? You want to be discreet. You want to be discreet. She can't be discreet and she's, like, chasing after a car. Right? She's just, like, not in, like, jogging clothes or no. anything. She's in, like, a fur coat. And her sprinting down the street, I would assume. Red sunglasses, her high heels. Yeah. She's always in high heels. Always. Because she's short. I don't even think it's so much a fashion thing, but I think uh, Sarah Michelle Geller is actually a really petite person. You can do that with camera angles. You could. I guess they didn't want to go through that much work. They're like, just put her in heels, call yeah. it good. All right, well. A lot of actors seem to be small people. Like, Tom okay. Cruise is a tiny person. Who was it? That was it Danny? No. Tom Cruise. Was he small? What was I that acting one we were just watching? The De Niro. De Niro seems really short, right? Yeah, actors are short people with big heads. There you go. Because they look good on camera. Yeah, but Gandalf, I mean, he's just naturally big. Yeah, he's... They cast him because he's... Because he's twice as tall as anyone, and it would yeah. look good when he was in Hobbiton. Exactly. Ewan McGregor, McKellen. Oh my gosh, Ian McKellen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just put those two names together. <laughs> he's just naturally a giant. That's why they, they sirred him. He's like nine feet tall. Yeah, they're like, we will call you Sir McKellen. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Well, I really liked this episode. I know that we didn't go scene by scene and talk about all the things that cropped up. But Trying a new format here. Yep, giving it a go, seeing how it feels. Um, for all of those of you out there who have never given us feedback, feel free to comment on our change in format and if it was engaging at all. Mm-hmm. We love hearing ourselves talk. Yeah. but Yeah, we have an email address, hellmouthhellears at gmail.com. Come. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we're gonna watch the next. I think I remember seeing the next episode, and it might not be the greatest one, mm. but we'll see. Surprise. Yeah, I mean, I've been pleasantly surprised mm. so far. Oh, so. it's the puppet one. Oh, no. Oh, puppet. I think it's actually a good episode, but the puppet is creepy. The puppet is super creepy. Oh, man. Okay. Yep. Got it. Got to have some actual scary stuff. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, bye, and we'll see you next time, whenever that is. <laughs> Fond farewell.